so excited about this series that we're about to step into. For those watching online, hello, and uh, can't wait to have you back in the room. But I am so excited about this series. We're starting a series called My Church. Everyone say My Church. By the end of this, you're going to respond to me so well. It's going to be amazing. And the reason why I want to talk about my church is really, really simple because the thing that Jesus says about it, in Matthew 16, 18, he says this, I will build what? Let's try that again. I will build and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. I don't know about you, but there's a whole lot of things out there in the world today trying to overcome us. Come on trying to overcome us, whether it be fear, whether it be intimidation, whether it be pandemics, whether it be whatever it is, there is a whole lot of things trying to overcome us. And Jesus said this, he said, hey, I've got this brilliant idea, I'll build my church and then the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. In other words, when I build my church, it's an unstoppable force, it's an unstoppable thing, nothing can stand against it, nothing can get in the way of it, and he says my church, he doesn't say the church, he says my church, why? Because it's incredibly personal to him. It's not just something over there that I'm building, this is personal, this is, we don't go, oh, I'm part of the family, we say I'm part of my family, yes? And so he's saying it's my church. He, he doesn't say the church. It's very, very personal to him. And the word there for church is the word ecclesia in the Greek, and the New Testament is written in the Greek. And the word ecclesia in the Greek is not a spiritual word. It's not a religious word. It's actually a word that the Greeks used to use when it came to calling town meetings, where they would get everyone to come out of their homes into a public arena and they would assemble and they would have a meeting about the town or whatever it is. It was the ecclesia, the assembly of the people. That's literally what the church means. It means to assemble. We are the church when we assemble. Come on, I want you to catch this this morning. We are the church when we Assemble. I know people say that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and that's completely and totally true, but you are not the church when you're on your own. You are the church when we assemble, when we come together, because there's something powerful that happens when we come together. And here's the thing, and this might upset some people today, but it's, hopefully it'll stir you a little bit. Jesus is not coming back for individuals. He said, I am returning for my church. He's not returning for Christians. He's not returning for individuals. He's returning for the assembly of his people, for the church. And so you can say, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't have to be there week in, week out. That's cool, but you're not being the church. And he's not coming back for individuals, and he's not coming back for Christians. He's coming back for the assembly of God's people. Come on. Jesus is coming back for his church. God loves his church. In fact, in other places in Scripture, it describes it as the bride of Christ. Come on. We are his bride. It's very, very personal to him. It's very personal to him, the church. And we want to build a church here where people find relationship with God instead of religion. And we're living for a God who is, we're living for God in such a way that it's no longer duty, but it's actually a delight. 
It's not a duty to turn up. It's a delight. It's not a duty to read my Bible. It's a delight. It's not a duty to serve. It's a delight. It's not a duty to care for those around me. It's a delight. It's not a duty to lift my hands and worship. It's a delight. It's a delight. It's a delight. And, you know, it's why the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go up to the house of the Lord. And what I think has happened because of our lockdowns and because of everything else, everyone's coming a little bit out of duty without a, without a whole lot of delight. We need to delight ourselves in the Lord. Our delight is in Him. And there are a few things that come up repeatedly in Scripture when, when it's talking about the church and the identity of the church and the characteristics of the church. And we're going to look at three of them over the next three weeks. And today, the first one that we're going to look at is Jesus says this. He says, my church is passionate. My church is passionate. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 15 that there's a generation that loses its passion. Listen to what he says here in verse 8 of chapter 15. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, he's saying, they do all the right things, they say all the right things, they come to church, they sing, they clap, they tithe, they get water baptized, they take communion, they do all the right things, but their hearts are far from me, they worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. In other words, we're, we're doing what we're doing because that's what we're meant to do. Isn't it? Someone told me that as Christians we're meant to do this, and as Christians we're meant to do that, and so we're doing all these things, and what we're doing is we're keeping human rules around how church should be, and how we should function, and how we should behave as Christians, and it's human rules, and, and Jesus says here, there's a whole lot of people that they honor me with my lips, they say the right things, do the right things, and everything, but their hearts are not in it. In other words, they're doing it out of duty, not out of delight. They're doing it out of duty, not out of delight. John 10 says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And, and what we get there around the wrong way, I'll keep my commands to show that I love him. No, no, when you love someone, the commands are not an issue because you love them, you're gonna do what they need done because you love them. Come on, talk to me today. I'm trying to stir something on the inside of you because church was never intended to be boring and sad. I mean, I can't wait to get to this place. Every, and I was like that before I pastored the church. Because you don't get to pastor a church if you think it's boring and sad. And the Bible says that that's not how church should be. Church should not be that way. It should not be boring. It should not be sad. It should be a place filled with passion. Romans 12, 11 says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. L listen to what it says. Never what? Never. Never. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. Well, I just don't really feel like it today. Never be lacking in zeal. The word zeal there in the Greek is the word zealous, which means white, boiling, hot. It's, it's not this kind of like, I mean, it's, I know that sometimes when we come, come to church and, and we're in and the musicians are doing a fantastic job and, 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 and it's a good Sunday for us. There's quite a little bit of delight in us as we worship because, you know, the foot's going this morning. 
I'm believing by the end of today you might have a whoo-hoo moment, you know, like, whoo my arm went out. You know, like, it's to be white, boiling, hot, filled with passion, overflowing. It should be exciting. Christianity was intended to be the most passionate thing that you could ever do because we're following the most passionate God that you could ever follow. I'm just, I'm just trying to light a fire in you this morning because some of us, after the last two years, we're, we're lucky if we have a smoldering stick left. And it's not our fault. We've just gone through some stuff in the last two years, and we're still going through it. And, and if we're really honest with ourselves, there's a smoldering ember. That fire that I had has gone. It's not there. It's, it's, it's a smoldering ember. And in the service today, what I want to do is I want to I fan it for you back into flame. I want to I wanna get that thing going again. Why? Because we can't go into 2022 carrying the pain and the hurts and the frustration of the last couple of years, we've got to step in and put the logs on the fire and get that thing burning again. Why? Because you need it, your family needs it, and our community needs it. We can't afford to go through another year of just waiting for this thing to be over. We've got to be the church, a place of passion that's going out there and seeing the lost, saved, and people's lives transformed. We can't do it. We're on a, I'm on a mission here this morning to light a fire within you because Jesus was a passionate God. He was passionate. He was a kid magnet. Kids don't hang around people that are boring. But they were all over him to the point that the disciples are trying to get them off him and get him out of the way. Why? Because he was passionate and the kids loved being around him. Jesus was passionate in John 2. Verse 14 to 17. I'm preaching a little bit good this morning, but it's going to get better. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. And Jesus made a whip from some ropes. Come on, here's some passion coming. And chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor, turned over their tables, and then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And then his disciples remembered the prophecy from the scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. You see, Jesus walks in and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You've turned the church into something that it's not meant to be. And a passion for his house consumes you, raises up on the inside of him. He makes a whip. He drives it all out because this is not what the house of God is meant to be. I'm telling you, that's passion. I want us to be a church that never loses our passion, a passion for God's house that absolutely consumes us. And there are four things that the Bible talks about that the church should be passionate about, that the assembly of believers should be passionate about. The problem with these four things that it says that we should be passionate about, they're also the four things that we can get really lukewarm about. And the first one is this, a passion for prayer. <laughs> this is one that I struggle with, if I'm honest with you mainly because my brain starts going in all sorts of directions instead of focusing on my prayer life. 
Is anybody else like, just me? Okay, cool. The Bible is clear that prayer is meant to be passionate. But most of us, when it comes time to pray in a church setting, do this. Amen. We're not passionate. We, we, we close our eyes, our heads go down, and then you have these awkward moments, yes? We used to, they used to do this in church a lot. I really don't like doing this. So if you're doing pre-service, pre-meeting, please don't do this. You know, let's get in a circle, hold hands, and we're going to go around in a circle, and everyone's going to pray. Problem is, is, if you're the last person, what is there left to pray by the time it gets around to you? Everybody's said everything. It's the most awkward thing where someone goes, oh, I've got some, anyone got prayer requests? Yes, I've got a prayer request. Yeah, what is it? Oh, I can't say. That's the problem. You're not saying what it is. Come on, I mean, I know there's those awkward church prayer meetings, but here's the thing, in the book of Acts, that describes a church prayer meeting where they raise their voices together and pray, and it says that the whole place shook because of the noise of prayer that was coming out of the place. That's not boring prayer. That's exciting prayer. James 5.16 says this, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so here's a thought. If you're not fervent, then it's not going to avail much. If you're not passionate in your prayer, if you're not going after God in your prayer, if you're not going full hard after Him in prayer, if you're doing a... And it's not fervent, then maybe that's why not much is happening because it's the fervent prayer of a righteous person that avails much. It can't be boring. I'm just trying to encourage you to go after God in your prayer life. Don't hold back. Don't hesitate. Let him know how you feel. Go heart out after him in prayer. Come on. What do you do if your prayer fire has gone out? Just one simple thing I want you to remember. Make prayer your first response, not your last resort. How do we keep prayer on fire in our lives? by making it our first response, not our last resort. That means when something happens, before you think about ringing the bank manager or think about ringing the doctor, not that any of those things are bad, but before you do that, you know what? Let's pray about this. Let's pray about this. Oh, we need to go and buy a, a car today. Cool, awesome. Hey, let's pray about this before we go. Let, let's just make prayer our first response instead of our last resort. Amen? Second thing is that the Bible talks about the church is that it's a passion for praise and worship. The church should be a place that has a passion for praise and worship. In fact, the biggest book in your Bible is the book of Psalms, and it has some of the most outrageous, loud, passionate worship that you'll ever read or you'll ever see. It's not meant to be conservative. It's not meant to be reserved. It's meant to be passionate. It says things like, 
Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. It's not if you feel like it. It's like, come on, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. David said, I will bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me will bless his holy name. In other words, I don't care how my emotions feel right now. Soul, you don't rule me. I rule you. I will bless the Lord. I will praise him. I will worship him. I will be passionate in my fervor for him. I refuse to allow us to, to, to get our worship reserved and conservative because you know what? When we keep it um, reserved and conservative, all that does is it just protects your ego. Because most people don't worship passionately because they're worried about everybody else around them. And so we're allowing our ego to be more important than the worship. I didn't say it would be a nice series. Jesus said this, Mark 12, 30. What? He said, love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's an all-in kind of worship. It's not half-hearted. It's not, oh, well, I was 95% of the way. No, it's all in. We worship God because he is worthy of praise. We worship God because He's worthy of praise, which means this, we worship God because it's about Him and not about me. It's about what He is, not where I'm at. Come on, there's not a lot of amens happening this morning. I worship Him because of who He is, not because of how I feel. Come on. You see, Psalm 103 verse 1 says this, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Come on, it's, it's about Him. It's about Him. It's about Him. When the Ark of the Covenant was lost by the Israelites, and it had been away from Israel for a long time, and King David decides to bring it back, the Ark of the Covenant presented, represented the presence of God, and and King David decided he was going to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, back to the temple in Jerusalem. He was going to bring it back to its main place. The Bible says this, that, that David, um, as he brought it up, as he went on this journey, it was an eight-mile journey. And so as he's going on this journey, the Bible says that every six steps, Stop, 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 stop. It's time for a sacrifice. It's time for worship. Another six steps. Stop, stop, stop. It's time for a sacrifice. It's time for worship. David so valued the presence of God that every six steps he would stop and he would worship. On an eight-mile journey, that's 14,000 steps, 2,347 sacrifices over eight miles. He is stopping every, he's so passionate about the presence of God. He's so honoring about God's presence that every six steps he's going, I, I just got to stop and worship him. I, I can't go any further. Every six steps, we're going to worship him. We're going to worship him. We're going to worship him. Imagine a life that every six steps stops to worship him. That every step that we take, we stop 
to worship him. And as he's coming in, because he's just got his ephod on, he's just got his, basically his underwear on, his wife Micah is mocking him and mocking him. You're just, you're the king and you're just wearing an ephod. Here's the problem. She was so focused on what he was wearing instead of being focused on what he took off. And what he took off was his robes as a king and he humbled himself in the presence of God. He put himself in the right place so that God could be in the right place. And his wife is mocking him because everything he's doing. And listen to his response to her. In 2 Samuel, it says, David said to Michael, I was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. In other words, he's saying, he made me king, not your dad, not your brother, not your family. He made me. He appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. And I will celebrate before the Lord. And you know what, baby? You ain't seen nothing yet because I can get even more undignified than this. You ain't seen nothing yet because he's worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship. And you can mock, but you ain't seen nothing yet. You see, if you're going to be fanatical about something in life, be fanatical about God. Don't be fanatical about anything that the media promotes. Don't be fanatical about anything that government says you should be. Let's be fanatical about God. Let's make God the number one thing in the world. Not everything else is going. Let's be fanatical about God. Are you with me today? You see, there's this Air Force base in North Carolina, and the Air Force base is home to F-14s and F-16s, and, and it, when it takes off, when they take off over the, uh, on the runway, they, they go over a motorway. And so they have these kind of problems happening that that as they take off over the motorway, it's usually when the sonic boom kicks in. I don't know if you've ever heard a sonic boom um, ever happen in a fighter jet, but one year when I, before I was pastoring, I was over in Melbourne at the Grand Prix with some clients, and I didn't realise, but there was some F-16s coming doing a, doing a pass-by, and I'm sitting in the grandstand, and then the sonic boom goes boosh, right over the top of us. I just about wet my pants, soiled myself, and freaked out all at the same time. It is so loud. And so what the problem is, is as the sonic boom goes, boof, people are driving on the motorway, and they get such a fright, they end up having a whole lot of car accidents. And so the Air Force Base thought we'd better put out a billboard to warn people. We'd better put out a billboard to warn people. And this is what they said on their billboard. Pardon the noise, it's the sound of freedom. Pardon the noise, it's the sound of freedom. Pardon the noise, it's the sound of freedom. You know, when people look at me weirdly because of how I'm worshipping, all I want to say to them is, pardon the noise, it's the sound of freedom. I was bound up and full of sin and going to hell, and my God saved me, he changed me, he transformed me, he healed me, he pardoned my noise. It's the sound of someone who has been set free. And I just wonder in this place if there's anybody else that's like, hey, pardon the noise, it's just the sound of freedom as he set me free. Come on, let's give him some praise. Come on, today in this place, come on, we can do better than that. He set you free, he saved you from your sin, he's turned your life around. Pardon the noise, it's the sound of freedom. So how do we keep our praise and worship fire from going out? Really, really simple. We give God what he deserves, not what we feel. 
We give God what he deserves, not what we feel. We worship God the way he wants to be worshipped, not the way I want to worship. It's not about me. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. That's not my choice. That's his choice. And now he wants me to do that. Clap your hands. Shout unto God. It's not about how I want to worship him. It's about how he wants to be worshipped. And he wants to be worshipped with passion. The third thing, and I'm running out of time, so I'm going to do these last two in like three minutes. There's some really cool stuff in these last two points, but unfortunately we're not going to get there. Third one is the passion for purity. I think this is the challenge for the church over the next few while is to have a passion for purity. And I'm not talking about sexual purity. I'm talking about purity. There's a pattern in Scripture of God honoring zeal and passion for people that stand up for the honor of God. I'm talking about not being perfect, but a love for the purity, a love for the things of God. Romans 12, 9 puts it this way, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to get it right, but we're not going to be people that follow the patterns of this world. We live in a time right now that even in the church, we've been pulled into error and wrong doctrine, and there's things like where they're deconstructing Christianity, and they're starting to say things like, well, that was then, and this is now. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Word of God stands through all time. It never loses its relevance. It never loses its power. It never loses its truth. It doesn't need to be bent. It doesn't need to be softened. It doesn't need to be... It is the Word of God. And we live in a world right now that even some of the names that you may follow on social media and so-called big Christian names, in my opinion, they're in error. They're going the wrong way. They're saying the wrong things. They're not sticking to what the Bible says is truth. And the Bible says this, that grace and truth, they kiss each other. And if you don't have the truth with grace, you're going to always end up in error. If you don't have grace with truth, you'll always end up in a harsh place. But when you have grace and truth together, not only do you give people the favor of God that they don't deserve, but you help them with the truth that changes their lives. Because it's the truth that sets people free. And we live in a time right now where we've been pulled in error, people are mocking the church, mocking the stances of the Bible, talking about it being hate speech and it should be outlawed, and we're just not going to cave into that. We're going to be passionate for the purity of the Scriptures, the purity of what He says. We're not going to be ugly about it, but we're going to stand firm in our beliefs, a passion for the things of God that are pure. In other words, if God God says it, then it endures forever. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to keep that fire going for the passion of what God says? Because we're going to be a voice and not an echo. We're going to be a voice and not an echo. We're not just going to repeat what everybody else is saying. We're not going to be an echo. We're going to be a voice. We're going to speak truth. We're going to follow God's ways. And the last one, which is probably God's number one on his list, is a passion for people. A passion for people. See, God is not just in love with us, the church. He's in love with everyone. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him doesn't perish but has eternal life. He so loves the world. If there's anything that God is passionate about, 
then we need to be passionate about too. And so what do we do if we feel like our fire for people has died out? I want you to remember this. A life not lived for others is not a life. A life not lived for others is not a life. A life not lived for others is not a life. And if you're discouraged, if you're bored, if you're hurting, I say this with all the love in my heart because I'm not trying to belittle what you're going through. But if you're discouraged, bored, or hurting, you've probably got too much focus on yourself and I'm not focus on others. Because the more you give your life to others, the more you will find life. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you try to keep your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. We have been beaten up so much over the last couple of years that there's just isn't much of a fire there for some of us. It's just like this smoldering little spark there. For some of us, maybe it's completely gone out. And you would think that God would be okay with that, but he's not. In fact, the Bible says that when we let our fire, our passion go out, he actually holds it against us. And Revelation 2, 4 to 5, he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you first had. And then he gives them how to get it back. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If I can just have Callum on the keys, please. Consider how far you have fallen. Consider how far your love for prayer has fallen. Consider how far your love for his word has fallen. Consider how far your love for praise and worship has fallen. Consider how far your love for the church has fallen. Consider how far your love for doing life in community has fallen. Consider it. Remember it. Think about where it was compared to where it is now. And then repent. In other words, turn around. See, to me, repent is not a negative word. To me, it's the most positive word in the Bible. Because repent says to me, it doesn't matter how far I've fallen, I can just turn it around. It doesn't matter how far I've gone in this direction, I can just repent and turn it around. I don't have to smack my heads on steps and cut myself or anything like that like some other religions do. I just gotta, I just gotta repent. Oh man, I can't believe how far I've fallen. I'm sorry, God, forgive me. Repent. Turn it around. The thing about God that no other religion does is God always gives us second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances never run out. And then what? Just do the things you used to do. What is it that you used to do? Get back to those things. Do them. Why is it so important that we do this? Because he then gives a warning in verse 5. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from this place. If we don't 
He'll remove the passion and fire from within you. And friend, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. Will you close your eyes just for a minute across this place? And I want to ask you today, have you let your passion go and your fire go out? Have you? If you consider, think about it, don't look around. Have you let your passion go and the fire go out? Have you allowed the last two years to just absolutely snuff that fire in you? Maybe it's even not the last two years. Maybe it's stuff from your past that's come to the surface. Have you allowed it? Because here's the thing. I believe that what God wants to do today is he wants to blow upon you. If I can get the rest of the band and the singers up, that'll be awesome. I think he wants to blow upon you. He wants to fan into flame. The Bible says this, a smoldering stick he does not snuff out, and a bruised reed he does not break. What he does is he refires that ember, makes it on fire again. He heals the reed and he gets the fire going on the inside again. He comes and he blows upon it. As Brian mentioned, Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, it was the breath of God that fanned the valley of dry bones into a mighty army. I want to tell you, God wants to breathe. He wants to breathe. He wants to fan into flame, bring you alive again, get you on fire again. I'm going to pray for you very, very shortly. I'm going to ask you very, very shortly if you're like, man, I've let the fire just dull down or I've even possibly let it go out and I want God to come and fan it back into flame today, then I want you right now in this place, I want you to lift your hand if that's you.